Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Father, we just come to you at this moment in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray with your servant David of all, quicken me according to thy word. And Lord, we think of your words that you said, it's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing, but the words that you speak are spirit and life. May the words that we share tonight on this tremendous theme of the redemptive names of God, may there be an impartation of spirit, an impartation of life through the quickening of the Holy Spirit, we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. Amen. Okay, I'd like you to turn to... Uh, yes. How many do you want? Two. Two. Okay. Senior said, please. You're welcome. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Now, we're in this, uh, in for this uh, term, instead of semester now, this term, we're going to do a series on the redemptive names of God. And over my years of studying the Word, uh, this is one of the most wonderful uh, series uh, that we can know. Uh, in the Bible because of everything that's involved in the name of God. When I first met my wife, uh, they introduced me. Do you know Miss... Oh, oh, so what's your name? Miss Douglas, uh, 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 what's your first name? Joyce. And then I said, I am thine, O Joyce. I have heard thy voice. <laughs> and, and we lived happily about there's something about a name. And if we feel that about other people's names, how much more about the name of God? Listen to this fantastic verse in Malachi, or Malachi, or Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake, spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Isn't that a tremendous verse? Let me read it again. Then they that fear the Lord, how many fear the Lord tonight? Good healthy fear. Not only reverence, but the good healthy fear, fearing God. Spake often one to another. How often do we speak to one another? Often. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. So the Lord's listening to those that speak often one to another and the fear of the Lord. And what's he doing? A book of remembrance. How many believe that God has books? He has a book of life. Has everybody's name in the book of life or the book of death. He has the book of works. God has a lot of books. He's got the angels working overtime, bookkeeping. But here's a special book that most people don't know anything about. A book of remembrance was written before him for them. Who's them? Them's us. For them that fear the Lord, and what else? And that thought, that meditated, that discussed, that thought upon his name. Have you ever thought upon his name? We're going to be thinking upon his name. We're going to be thinking upon the names, the redemptive names of God. All right, let's go to our sheet now and uh, verbalize uh, the first part here. The name of God 
is one of the most wonderful and remarkable themes in the Bible, which is the Word of God. And it is a theme which runs through the entire Word of God from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. The value of any Bible theme is seen by the emphasis which God himself puts upon it. And the believer today needs to put the value where God puts it. The study of the name of God is one with the study of the person of God. You cannot separate me from my name. If you attack Kevin Connor's name, you attack the person of Kevin Connor. So I'm just running down his name. You can't run down his name without running down his person. You can't separate the name and the person. So when people take, thou should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If they take the name in vain, they're, they're tearing down his person. You can't separate the name and the person. In fact, the Jews have a saying, uh, how did it go? Uh, that, uh, I thought I had it on my notes here. Uh, the Jews, uh, it's an old uh, Jewish saying, himself is his name and his name is himself. So you touch the name of God, you're touching the person of God. So the name always speaks, as we've got here, study of the name of God is one, one with the study of the person of God. For the name or the names of God reveal God in his nature, being, power and glory and attributes. They reveal God in his own essential being, in his own person. They reveal who and what God is. Let's turn over to Psalm 138. And maybe you could just uh, write this verse in there, this part, uh, because this is a tremendous verse. Psalm 138 and verse 2. And see what God thinks about his name. Psalm 138 and verse 2. Psalm 138, verse 2, reading from uh, King James' translation, uh, David speaking here, he says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And listen to this part. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The word and the name. You've made magnify, you've made great to magnify. We think of a magnifying glass. You've magnified thy word above, not just above thy name, but above all thy name. What is all the name? When we get to the triune name of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the name, we're going to see that all the compound, redemptive names of the Lord are compounded into that triune name all his name. So God's magnified his word above all his name. Continuing on our note here, apart from the word of God, there is no revelation of the name of God. So you've magnified thy word above all thy name, thy word, thy name, the word and the name, the word and the name. It is the word that reveals and unveils and unfolds the glories of the name of God and all its wonder, glory, beauty and majesty. The word was spoken first then the Word revealed the name. The Word of God and the name of God are inseparable in the plan and purpose of God in redemptive manifestation and revelation to His creatures. And it is to the Word of God alone that we must seek and find the revelation of the name, even the name of our God. All the great doctrines and themes in the Bible, which are clearly seen in the light of the New Testament revelation, have all been veiled and concealed in the Old Testament, hidden in types, and shadows, signs and symbols, figures and allegory, veiled in typical places, persons and actions. So it is with the truth concerning the name of God. The doctrine or teaching concerning the name of God in the Old Testament is at times partly revealed, but many times veiled in types and shadows, for the Old Testament was the age of the shadow. 
And as we follow the shadow, we will eventually come to the person, to the one whose shadow it was, even to the glorious person of our Lord Jesus Christ. An illustration that I often use when talking about the shadow, that everything happened under them for types and shadows and examples. So if I'm standing here and the sun is shining there, then it casts my shadow. So if I want to know whose shadow it is, what do I do? I go down to the beginning of the shadow. And then I just begin at the, uh, the end of the shadow and I start at the end of the shadow and I start following the shadow through. And as I follow the shadow through, no matter how long the shadow is that the sun casts, eventually I come to the one whose shadow it is. And so when we go back to the Old Testament, we think of everything that's in the Old Testament, we, which is the age of the shadow, as I've said. And so we begin at the beginning of the shadow, and we go through the, the tabernacle of Moses, and the tabernacle of David, and the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, the feasts of Israel, the temple of Solomon, the, the sacrifices. We just go through all these things, and eventually we come to him whose shadow it was, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say hallelujah? There are several important questions we need to ask in introducing our study on the redemptive names of God. And I've put here four questions. Number one, does God have a name? Number two, is God a name? Number three, has God revealed his name? And number four, what is his name? All right, I want us to look at a couple of scriptures here. First of all, our first question is, does God have a name? The Bible, the answer is yes. The scriptures show clearly that God has a name. It is a name which speaks of his nature, his character, and his attributes, both pertaining to creation and redemption. Let's turn over to a couple of these scriptures at least. I've put a number of scriptures here. And again, this is one of those themes that uh, I've done totally through the Bible has convinced me on the redemptive names of God. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. This is uh, in the giving of the Ten Commandments. And this is the third of the Ten Commandments. And so in Exodus 20, and maybe I've left you enough room just to at least condense what the verse says... Uh, I encourage you to take down the thought here. In the third commandment of the ten of the Decalogue, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We may get to this lesson, but see, many times this scripture is misinterpreted to the sinner. And say, so, oh, the sinner takes the name in vain. When they say Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Almighty or abbreviations of that precious name to us. When I hear that, how many, how many feel it makes you shudder when people do that? It just makes me shudder. In fact, I have rebuked sinners sometimes. I say, excuse me, what did you say? And they do the thing. I say, you're just talking about my best friend. It really stops them. But did you know it's God's people that can take his name in vain? When we get to this, see when we're baptized in water we say, we baptize you into the name. And then we quote the name. 
Rise to walk in his life. And Paul says, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And when Christians are baptized into the name and that name is invoked upon them and they live like the devil, and people say, oh, are you supposed to be a Christian? That's us taking his name in vain by the life we live. Because Christ is judged by the way Christians behave. That's Christianity. I don't want it. Wow. But everyone that names the name depart from iniquity. And when we see the glory of these redemptive names that is upon us. So, in the commandment, let's go to um, the third scripture here, Psalm 54. Psalm 54. Psalm 54 and verse 1. We're asking the question, does God have a name? Don't take his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. All right, Psalm 54 verse 1. Save me, O God, by thy name. Save me by thy name and judge me by thy strength. Psalm 68 and verse 4. Next verse here, Psalm 68 and verse 4. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. For we're to sing to God, we're to sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. The Psalms are just loaded with this expression, the name, the name. Uh, Let's go over to a couple of New Testament ones. I encourage you to read the other scriptures we put there. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. So the Old Testament says God has a name. The New Testament confirms that God has a name. Romans chapter 2. And Paul writing to the Roman believers, particularly addressing himself to the Jews who knew about the name of God and what that name was and how the Gentiles despised the name of God because of the way the Jews lived. And so here in Romans 2 verse Uh, 24, he says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. And he goes on to circumcision, and it's so linked up there that we can't digress on, but circumcision in the rite of circumcision, that was where the name was invoked. The child was given the name before birth, but the child was nameless until the eighth day, the rite of circumcision, And then the child was named in circumcision. Now there's more than that that meets the ear. What is new covenant circumcision? When is the name invoked in new covenant circumcision? Many people today have a nameless. Right, we'll get to that. The name of God blasphemed among the Gentiles because the way, oh, you're a Jew. You're a Christian. So God's name. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith and the pastoral epistles. Just before his uh, death, he says, uh, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, For what reason? 
that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. The name of God and the doctrine of God. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Let's uh, take one from uh, the book of Revelation or a couple from Revelation. Revelation chapter chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. And once you notice the emphasis on the name in about uh, at least three or four different aspects here. Three different aspects here. Revelation chapter 3. And this is to the overcomer. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him, number one, the name of my God. Number two, and the name of the city of my God, the bride city, the bride name, which is New Jerusalem, not old Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, but New Jerusalem, adorned as a bride, which cometh down out of heaven for my God, which is not over in Jerusalem in Palestine. And number three, and I will write upon him my new name. Now the custom was very significant here because in uh, most of these cities of Asia Minor, uh, in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica and pretty well all the cities, there were many temples to heathen deities with their temple prostitute, temple priest and temple high priests and sacrifices and all manner of abominations. And uh, these temples were generally uh, like a, they had a column of pillars. They were upheld by pillars or had a column of pillars around them. And uh, on the pillars that were often given as a gift by a king or by some emperor or something like that, they would inscribe the name in the pillar. And Jesus is saying, look, those that overcome all these things that need to be overcome in the condition of the churches, I'll make you a pillar in my temple, the temple of God. And I'll write upon you a threefold name, the name of my God, the name of the Father, and the name of the city of my God, the bride's name, the bridal name. And remember, the bride takes the bridegroom's name. My wife took my name and my money. Uh, uh, the bridal name, the bridegroom's name too. And I'll write upon him my new name. So the pillar with the name in the temple. Revelation chapter 13 is an interesting contrast here. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, and uh, by the way, verse uh, 16 and 17, you can put this on your sheet, it's not there, this is by way of contrast. Uh, this has to do with the Antichrist and the false prophet, and in uh, Revelation 13, verse 16, it says, He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to have an ID card. I'm sorry, that's the Australian government. I was getting it mixed up. Uh, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. I don't want that name, do you? I want to have his name. Him that overcomes. So all the world is destined to be stamped with a mark, a number, or a name. I want to have upon me the redemptive name. All that's involved in that. You read the other scriptures there that we haven't covered. The last reference pretty well is, they shall see his face 
and his name will be in their forehead. Let's go to number two. Our second question. So does God have a name? What's our answer? Yes. The scriptures just abound with that expression, the name of God. Now, here's something that uh, we maybe we haven't thought of too much. Question number two, is God a name? How many would say that God is a name? How many would say God is not a name? How many are frightened of getting caught? That's the honest truth now. God is not a name. The scriptures show that God is not a name or a proper name, but God has a name. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to make a brief note of this in your notes. That's why I've left the space there. The Bible simply opens with this, and we know it so well, so we won't turn to it. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Okay? So God, well, who? God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at some of these because it's really important to understand that God is not a name. It's not a proper name, just the Bible opens with in the beginning God and significantly enough it closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Here Satan is spoken of as God. So in verse 4, in whom the God of this world. Why don't you put that expression on your notes there? So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, Elohim, uh, plurality of divine persons, but no name, just God, God, God. And then 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So here we have a little G. How many of you know that Satan is just a little God? He's a little G. So he's the God of this world. He's the God of this world system. Why don't you put that down? So in the beginning, God, capital G, the true God who made heaven and earth. And here we have the God of this world system. Let's go over to... Um, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. Exodus 7 verse 1. I want us to look at these scriptures before I make a, a comment here. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. And here this expression God is also used of man. So the, the word God, G-O-D, God, is used of the true God. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, so it's used of the true God. The word God is used of Satan, who is the God of the world system. The word God is also used of man. Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. But a little g. So here Moses was a God. He's not the God, he's not the true God, he's not the creator of heaven and earth, but he is a God. So, hey, God. Let's turn over to uh, John chapter 10, one from the New Testament, where Jesus quotes from the psalm, and I put, have I put the psalm there? No, I didn't. But Jesus is quoting from one of the psalms, John chapter 10, and Jesus also refers to man as being a God. And the way some people go around being self 
deify today, they certainly prove that. But always tell them if they think they're gods, tell them they've got a little G. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 34. Oh, we'll pick up in verse 33. The Jews answered him saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. How many believe that Jesus was a man? How many believe Jesus was God? How many believe he is the God-man? Okay. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods, little g. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father have sanctified and sent into the world, you blaspheme because I said, I'm the son of God. So man is spoken of as gods. Let's go to Exodus chapter 23 and see who else is spoken of as God. Now this will be very important when we look at our Our next scripture here, Exodus chapter 23. Because we're talking about the redemptive names of God. But God is not a name. God is not a proper name. God refers to a person. We'll give a definition in a moment. Exodus chapter 23. And uh, just for time's sake here, Exodus 23 and verse... Uh, I think I have a wrong scripture. Verse 24 is the one I'm really after. That's right. Oh, that's right. Exodus 23, verse 24, he says, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, the gods of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods. So all these nations had their various gods. And it's interesting, the, the, uh, the, the correlation of... Gods today, we think of Molech, who, who was the god where they offered child sacrifice to. And we think of the gods of Molech today and the, the uh, abortions, child sacrifice. It's carrying on today, same gods. And he says, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. Now, let me summarize before we turn to Exodus 3 for our last uh, reference on this uh, question here. Is God a name? Okay, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God. Now, in the scripture, whenever it speaks of God, it's simply speaking of God. doesn't matter who it is. It simply means God, a person or an object of worship. That's the definition of God. Maybe you could squeeze it on your notes there. So, wherever you see the word God... It simply means a person or an object of worship. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Okay, the person or object of worship created the heavens and the earth. So it's referred to as the true God. And we know he's the true God because in the beginning, God, thou, Lord, art God alone, thou alone has made heaven and earth the true God. In fact, uh, um, let me uh, add this scripture while it comes to my mind. Uh, Psalm 115, you could put it down somewhere. Psalm 115 and verse uh, uh, 3 through to 7. But our God is in the heavens. 
He has done whatsoever he is pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. But our God has made the heavens. So when we speak of the true God, the true person, the True object of worship, it's God who created the heavens and the earth. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Satan is referred to as God of this world system. Exodus 7 verse 1, Moses, a man, is spoken of as a God. God made him a God to Pharaoh. Uh, John chapter 10, Jesus spoke of men being as gods, and they criticized and said, well, you make yourself God. He said, well, just because I say I'm the Son of God, and even your scripture says you're God's, Little g. Then Exodus 23, demons or idols are spoken of as gods. So God, 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 God. Now I want you to go over to Exodus 3, and this is a very important scripture we'll be picking up in fuller detail later on. Because we're going to find that the first man to get any part revelation, the first part revelation of the redemptive name of God is Moses. And I want you to listen to a a very important question he asks here. So Exodus chapter 3, and let's pick up uh, verse uh, 11. We'll pick it up uh, next week more fully, but just to uh, familiarize ourselves with it. Exodus 3 verse 11, God's just appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And uh, the significance in this chapter is just heavy duty. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, or literally I am with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When you have brought forth the people out of, the, out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. mountain. Now listen carefully to verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What would I say to them? Now think of the significance of this because we'll pick it up next week more fully, but here God, whoever this God is, has appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And so Moses is drawn aside to see this sight, this a uh, sign of the Presbyterian church that is now reduced to a heap of ashes. Burning bush, I used to press. Unconsumed. How many know the fire has gone out in that place? Denying the virgin birth, denying the Bible. That's not the thing. And so this voice comes out of the burning bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he drew near. And the voice said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I'm the God of your fathers. So Moses knows it's God. Okay, this must be the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, burning it unconsumed, the miracle of the sun being performed in the burning bush. When I was a kid at school, they told me the sun will eventually burn itself out. But the miracle of the sun was done in the burning bush, burning yet unconsumed. The scientists tell us there are just liquid flames of light coming out of the sun. I don't know what it is. We might have a couple of ideas. Um, but the burning bush, burning it unconsumed. And so God speaks to Moses. 
calls him. He says, I don't want to go, you know. He says, I'll be with you. And I'll give you a sign that when you bring the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this Mount Sinai, where I'm talking to you from in the desert, in the bush here. So Moses said to God, when I come to the children of Israel and say, God sent me, the God of your fathers, I say, oh, not another one. Because if you study Exodus 12, 12, every plague that God did was a judgment on one of the gods of Egypt. He said against all the gods, they worshipped the river Nile, so he smote their god and turned it to blood. They worshipped frogs, so God gave them frogs in their dough, in their bed. Sometimes my wife is like a frog, sometimes she said, I'm like a frog. They're not talking about that, okay? They had frogs in their bedroom, in their chambers, in their dough, frogs everywhere. Because they worship, they, they, they worship the firstborn. So every play God said, God said against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment so that they'll know I'm the true God, the God above all gods. All the gods were heathen. They worship created things and so forth, creatures. And so Moses said, if I go down there and say, the God of fathers, who sent you? The God of your fathers. I'm not another one. We've got so many gods down in Egypt. You know, it's a very significant thing in Japan and just a few more moments here. Uh, I was in Japan two years running with Yonggi Cho, and you don't talk about God over there virtually. You have to name your God. You know the, uh, uh, who knows Japanese, Komi, 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 God. God, and you say, how many will accept God tonight? Oh, hands up, yeah, just another one. What's another God? I mean, I think Japan has, oh, I don't know whether it's three million gods or 3,000 gods. Anyway, 3,000 is enough to keep you dizzy and busy. They have a God for everything. I go to Thailand and all the houses there have these spirit houses. I thought they were letterboxy. When Thai people come in and look at our letterbox, I think, oh, that's their spirit God. Right? Because they have these houses where their, their spirit God lives in the house. And I thought they're letterboxes. And instead of me putting letter dropped it, I should have cast out the spirit in the name of Jesus or something, set the house on fire. See? I go to India. And over there I see when I was in India that you can get these... Uh, um, uh, um, what do you call it? anyway, like Trinity gods. You've got fat-bellied Buddha God, like to kick him in the naval base, uh, and uh, then you've got Jesus Christ God in the middle, and you've got uh, Hindu elephant trunk God, and you've got all these trinities. So I said to this Hindu lady, she said, you Christians are so bigoted, you say Christ is the only way. We accept all the gods. We've got thousands of gods. God's not a name. So how many will accept God tonight? Oh yeah, another one. So we, they say we have the God of fertility, the God of healing, the God of medicine, the God of Mickey Mouse, the God of da-da-da. They've got gods for everything. And so when Moses goes down to Egypt and says, the God of your fathers has sent me, they say, oh, not another one. We've got that many gods down in Egypt. What's another one on the list? You know what they'll say to me? They'll say, if the God of your fathers have sent you, what's his name? Oh, God, God, God. No, what's his name? This God must have a name. Is God a name? No, God must have a name. Number three, has God revealed his name? Let's turn to one scripture and then we want you to come back next week for this exciting episode. <laughs> Micah chapter six, and make sure you bring the sheep back. I don't want you to come back next week and ask for another one, okay? Micah chapter six. Micah chapter 6. Micah, where art thou? 
page 1025. Micah chapter 6. And I'm reading from King James translation. If your translation misses this, uh, buy a King James, a new one especially. Now our third question that we're going to be looking at is has God revealed his name? So does God have a name? The answer is yes. Is God a name? What's the answer? No. Number three, has God revealed his name? Yes. Listen to Micah 6 and verse 9. And I'll read it from authorized here. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Well, how many really see his name? The man of wisdom shall see thy name. Has God revealed his name? The answer is yes. Come back next week for the continuation of this and make sure you bring your sheet. Okay, let's all stand. Mothers and fathers, make sure you pick up your children and don't let them be wandering out there and running behind cars because we've nearly had some uh, accidents with children there, people backing out, so... Please pick up your children there. Why don't we say the disciples' prayer with emphasis on his name all together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallowed be thy name. God bless you. Shake hands with each other. And uh, those who committed themselves for working be Saturday, 9 o'clock, bring your shovels brooms and everything like that. Thank you. I just don't believe what I'm saying. Let's just turn to uh, one scripture that we looked at last week as we continue. Uh, let's turn to Malachi. Malachi, um, Malachi chapter 3. Now in our series together we're looking at the redemptive names of God and just we're on our introductory material at the moment. And uh, we're using as our foundation scripture Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 and it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And we're thinking upon his name. A book of remembrance was written for them that feared the Lord and for them that thought upon his name. So we're thinking upon his name, the redemptive name of God. Now last week as we read through our introductory material, uh, we uh, saw that the, the Bible says that God has exalted his word above all his name and that his, uh, 
It's the word that reveals the name of God and that this is one of the most magnificent themes that goes through the word of God. And then on page one, just, uh, just above one, we said there are several important questions we need to ask in introducing our study on the redemptive name of, names of God. And question one was, does God have a name? Number two, is God a name? Number three, has God revealed his name? And number four, what is his name? So these are the uh, four questions that we're looking at just in our introductory material. So on question one, <clears throat> pardon me, does God have a name? What's the answer? The answer is yes. The scriptures clearly show that God has a name and he tells us not to take his name in vain and uh, not to make mention of the names of other gods and not let the name of God be blasphemed by the way we behave ourselves. Let everyone that names the name depart from iniquity. And we said that the name always speaks of the nature and the character and the attributes of God, both pertaining to creation and redemption. Our second question on page two is, is God a name? And uh, we found together that God is not a name, it's not a proper name, but God has a name. And we looked at a number of scriptures where uh, the word God simply means an object or of worship, a person who is worshipped. It's used of Satan. Satan is the God of this world system, little g. Uh, Moses, God said uh, to Moses, I have made you a God to Pharaoh. Man is spoken of as being uh, a God, uh, little g of course. And then idols, demon worship, they worship false gods. But the Bible says that God is the God above all gods. He is the true God because he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator. And so that we found together God is not a name. You might like to put down one other scripture there on that point. So uh, is God a name? What's our answer? No, the answer is no. God is not a name. It's not a proper name. And you might like to add one other scripture on that before we move on. 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18 and verses 21 through to 40. It's a rather lengthy passage and I'll just uh, quote portion of it. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verses 21 to 40 and we are familiar with the story where Elijah uh, is mocking the prophets of Baal and he says, all right, he said, the God that answers by fire, let him be the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, they were calling on the name of their God. He said, go and call on the name of your God. So if God was a name, why weren't they saying, God, 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 calling on God, God, because God was not a proper name. So he said, call on the name of your God. And then he said, I will call on the name of my God, the true God. See, so God's not a name. If God was a name, that would be a silly sentence to say, call on the name of your God. Well, God, 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 God. Why didn't he just say, call on God? No, he's saying, call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the true God. Okay, so it's just another confirmatory scripture that God is not a proper name, as we said last week. You can go to India and Japan and Africa and so many nations that have so many gods, gods out of crea uh, created things and stick gods and spirit gods and thousands and thousands of gods, but the true God of the Bible is the creator of heaven and earth. Can you say Amen. All right, now let's move on to number three here. Uh, has God revealed his name? Again, the scriptures show that God not only has a name, but he has revealed his name. It was given to men by revelation, 
Otherwise, man could never know the name of God without revelation. And we looked at one scripture last week, that the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Let's turn to two or three of these scriptures. I've put a couple from the Old Testament and a couple from the New. Isaiah chapter 52. So we're looking at the third question here. Has God revealed his name? Isaiah chapter 52. And verse 5 and 6, Isaiah 52 and verse 5 and 6. And why I put the references like that, I like to encourage you, just write down at least the brief uh, quotation from that verse where it emphasizes the name of the Lord. All right, so in verse uh, 5 of Isaiah 52, Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, says the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. So the name of God being blasphemed. But in verse 6 he says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold it is I. So here is a promise that my people shall know my name. The Lord says, my people will know his name. Well, what is his name? Okay, Uh, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. Oh, verse 2 it is. Correction there, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. So unto you that fear my name, my people shall know my name, and unto you that fear my name. The book of remembrance was written upon them that thought upon his name, and unto you that fear my name, the Son of of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And that's uh, what Bernadette has experienced, the Son of Righteousness arising with healing. Uh, Let's go over to John's Gospel, chapter 16. We have a couple of beautiful verses in in the Lord's Prayer. What is the Lord's Prayer proper, not the disciples' prayer? John chapter 17. And uh, this is the prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father uh, with his disciples just around the Lord's table after he's washed their feet and uh, ministered the communion to them. And now he's giving them teaching of the Holy Spirit and he closes his ministry in the upper room with the uh, intercessory prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer proper, not our Father which art in heaven, which is the disciples' prayer. But the Lord's Prayer proper is John 17 and in verse 6 he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So Jesus is saying, I have manifested thy name unto them. Then we go down to verse 11. You might like to add verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. One in that name. And then in verse 26, Uh, Jesus closes his prayer saying, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. So Jesus is praying to the Father and he's saying, Father, I've declared unto them thy name, I've manifested thy name, I reveal thy name, I've kept them in your name, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me 
may be in them and I in them. Let's go to one other scripture, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Hebrews 2 and verse 12. And here the Lord Jesus again, a prophecy uh, taken from Psalm 22, 22 actually. And... Uh, here in Hebrews 12, the writer quotes, uh, we'll read in verse 11 to lead into it. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare, and so Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, I have declared thy name unto them, I will yet declare it, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And in the midst of the church, or in the midst of the worshipping congregation, will I sing praise unto thee. So here we have enough scriptures here that God will reveal his name, he will declare his name, he said, my people will know my name. All right, so has God revealed his name? What's the answer? Yes. All right, question number four is, what is his name? Down through the ages of time, saints have had a heart hunger to know the name of God, to know God. Four saints are noted here as to their question, what is his name? And uh, we have arranged them in this order just for the purpose of our study. So I've left a little bit of space there that you might like to take down some of the most important thoughts. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And the immediate verses are verses four, uh, 24 through to 32. And uh, just because we want to finish this uh, section of our study tonight, we won't read the uh, total passage, but paraphrase a little bit. So Genesis chapter 32, and here we come to Jacob. Now remember, God has said, as we're going to see, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So we come to this third person of this trinity of men. So we're going to see. So in verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him. He wasn't wrestling with the man, the man was wrestling with him. He was wrestling to get away. So this man, this mysterious man, was it a man? There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. The thigh representing the seat of strength. So he touched him in the strongest part of his being, significantly here. And so the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, and modern night this was, he said, let me go for the day break. He says, I'm not going to let you go. So Jacob's saying, let me go for the day breaks. And he does know who this mysterious man is. But this man's stronger than Jacob. And uh, Jacob is a wily old character. And so this mysterious person touches Jacob in the hollow of his thigh, right in the seat of his strength. That's the significance there. And Jacob said, let me go. The day's breaking. He said, uh, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, Jacob said to the mysterious person, let me go, the, um, no, I still got that wrong. The man said to Jacob, let me go, the daybreak. And then he said, I will not let you go, Jacob's saying now, I will not let you go except you bless me. And he said to him, 
Now, whoever this mysterious man is, he said to him, what is your name? And he, he said, Jacob. Now, let me just read on a little bit, and I'll come back to that. And he said, thy name shall be, call, uh, be called no more Jacob, but Israel, which being interpreted is, for as a prince you have power with God and with men, and, he prevail, and prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Why do you ask after my name? And he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place uh, Penuel, or Pen uh, Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. And as a significant thing, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. Why? Because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. Now, here's the significance. Here is Jacob, this third person of this trinity of men, has been a, a, uh, a deceiver and being deceived. The deceiver was deceived. And so as he's fleeing from home now after go, having got the birthright and the blessing from his father and from his brother by fair means and foul, uh, this mysterious visitor comes upon him and begins to wrestle. It's a black, dark night. Jacob doesn't know who it is. And the wrestling match goes on and on through the night. And so this mysterious visitor, this uh, divine visitor, says, uh, okay, the day's break, let me go. And Jacob said, well, I'm not going to let you go. If you overcome me and you touch me in the, in the very seat of my strength, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And so this mysterious visitor said to Jacob, what is your name? Now, you see, in our Western world, we've lost the significance of this, but when a person uh, asks, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the revelation of names in the Bible, the name was always a revelation of the nature and the character or the function of the ministry or the office of the person. So what he's saying is, what is your name? So when, when he said, my name's Jacob, and uh, some of us know the interpretation of Jacob's name, Jacob's name means supplanter. Now, many times it's been said deceiver. I don't like to put that in there totally, although Jacob was a deceiver and deceiving. But he says, my name is the supplanter. So when he confessed his name, he confessed his character. He confessed his nature. He confessed who he was because the name is the nature and the character of the person. So he said, my name is Jacob. I'm a supplanter. And that's the significance. He supplanted Esau of his birthright. He supplanted the blessing. And he was being supplanted and supplanting. Eventually he would supplant. So there was something significant there. But, but he wanted him to confess his name. Uh, it's a significant thing that when we have water baptism, we often say, okay, what's your name? And after the person confesses their name, maybe we should do a bit more and say, do you know the interpretation of your name? and then invoke upon them the new name for the new nature. So he says, well, what is your name? He said, my name's Jacob. And so now with the confession of the name, his nature and character, he says, I'm going to give you a new name. Your name will no, uh, be called no more Jacob, no more supplanter. But I'm going to give you a new name, Israel, which being interpreted is a prince of God. And he said, you've had power with God and with men. And I believe there's some significant in, uh, significance in this. In the true Israel of God, 
when we really as a body, as a church, come into being true Israelites, in the true sense of the word, uh, an Israelite is a person who is a prince, who has power with God and with men and prevail. So no power with men, no power with God. No power with God, no power with men. Power with men depends on power with God. This is the true meaning of Israel. So he says, forget your old name, your old nature, your old character. I'm going to put upon you a new name. We'll see the significance of that later. A new name. And uh, so after he received a a change of name, Jacob turns around to this mysterious person and says, okay, I've confessed my name. I've told you what my name is and you've given me a new name, a new nature, a new character. What's your name? What is your name? And he didn't get an answer. Whoever this mysterious person was, he didn't tell him. He said, what are you asking my, my name for? And he blessed him there. But he didn't get any answer. Just the question, what is your name? But no answer. And Jacob, the mysterious person, disappears. He says, I've seen God face to face. Man or God or the God-man. We have that sign. Let's go over to the next person, Judges chapter 13. Judges 13. As I said, I've arranged this in the particular order I have for the reason of our study. So Judges chapter 13. And in this chapter we have the appearance of an angel to uh, the father and mother of uh, Samson. So we'll just pick up a little bit here, just a few verses in verse uh, 2 of Judges 13. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was Baron and Bernot. So we have Mr. and Mrs. Manoah here. And in verse 3, the angel of the Lord. Now I want you to notice how the, the Bible, uh, the language that's used of the, this mysterious person. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, now you are barren and you don't bear, but you will conceive and bear a son. And I want him to be an absolute teetotaler. He is not to drink wine, nor strong drink, nor any unclean thing. Uh, For lo, you will conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come upon his head, not as long hair as a sign of rebellion, but a sign of separation. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel. Never did finish it. What a, what a tragedy. So the woman, in verse 6, she came to her husband and said, a man of God came to me. Oh, now, verse 3 says, the angel of the Lord. Now, verse 6, she says, a man of God. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. It was terrible. And I asked him not whence he was, and he didn't even tell me his name. But he gave me a promise and said, I'm going to conceive and bear a son. He's to be an absolute teetotaler, not to eat any unclean thing, and he's to be a Nazarite to God from uh, the womb to the day of his death. How miserable uh, Samson failed on that. So Manoah in verse 8, he entreated the Lord and said, Oh my Lord, let the man of God, oh angel of the Lord, man of God, come again and tell us what we're going to do, how we're going to teach the child. And so the Lord heard him, and in verse 9 we're told the angel of God came, and uh, uh, this angel hung around long enough, and the woman ran to her husband and said, Hey, the man, the man, 
Oh, verse 10, the man, uh, he's turned up again. And verse 11, uh, Manoah said, are you the man that spake unto the woman? And he said, I am. And then Manoah, the father says, how are we going to order the child? What are we going to do? And now it says, the angel of the Lord. So was it a man? Was it an angel? And so he gives further instruction. And then in verse 15, now let's read the tremendous language of this. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat of your bread. And if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And, the Manoah, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? Oh, same question. Jacob said, What is your name? And now Manoah is saying, what is your name? That when your sayings come to pass, we may do the honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, why do you ask after my name, seeing it is secret? Oh, a book of remembrance written for them the thought upon his name. Why are you asking after my name, seeing it's secret? My name is a secret name. In fact, the margin says, and maybe uh, some of your translations bring this out, why do you ask after my name, seeing it is wonderful? And if you put both thoughts together, which is consistent with the whole biblical revelation of the name of God, why are you asking after my name, seeing it is a wonderful secret? Who is the person that uh, says his name shall be called Wonderful. So why do you ask after my name, seeing this secret? Well, what is your name? So Jacob wanted to know the name. Manoah wanted to know the name. Uh, they didn't get it. Just for now, it just says, why do you ask after my name? It's a secret. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful secret. Now look what happened in verse 19 and 20. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. Oh, I mean, there's so much significance here. A meat offering meal offering, offered it upon a rock. And the angel did wondrously. He did according to his name. My name is secret, my name is wonderful, my name is a wonderful secret, and the angel did wondrously. He did according to his name, and Manoah and his wife looked on, and what was the wondrous thing that he did? For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, the rock altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended. Oh, there's so much in this. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Now, can you imagine the whole thing? This angel of the Lord, his countenance shining. Don't know who he is. Ask what his name is. He turns up another time. Manoah asked the Lord to send this mysterious person. Comes back and says, what's your name? He said, it's a secret. It's a wonderful secret. What, what are you asking for? But he didn't give him any answer. And he says, you're going to offer an offering, offer it to the Lord. So they have this rock, which now becomes an altar. They offer a meal offering. And the, the angel of the Lord, as the flame ascends, the angel just steps into the flame and ascends back into heaven where he come from. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we're surely going to die because we've seen God. 
Let's go quickly to the next one. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. This is a very peculiar one. Proverbs chapter 30. And I put down on your notes there on the C, Proverbs 30 verses 1 to 6, uh, a sevenfold question that this person, Agur, asked. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. Now I want you to notice the language here because it's, uh, I think it's very significant. So Jacob the patriarch has said, what is your name? Doesn't get an answer. Manoah, the Danite, asks, what is your name? He just gets, it's a wonderful secret, secret, it's wonderful. No real answer. Here's the third person in the Old Testament that asks, what is his name? But I want you to notice the the sevenfold question that's asked in, in, in a relative to this thing. In verse 1, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 1, you'll notice it's spoken particularly of as being a prophecy. So I've put on your notes there, the prophecy of Agar. The words of Agar, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy. So the words, the prophecy. Then in verse 4, and I'll just spell this out so you and uh, encourage you to write it down on your notes, the sevenfold question and prophecy of Agar here, because we're doing a series on the redemptive names, and when we get to the New Testament, we're going to see the consummation of this. Question number one. Who hath ascended up into heaven? Well, who has ascended? The angel of the Lord ascended up into heaven. He ascended in the flame of fire of sacrifice. Can any ordinary angel do that? A rock, flame of fire, a sacrifice to the Lord, and this mysterious angel ascending in the flame of fire. Number one, question number one, who has ascended up into heaven? Number two, question number two, or who has descended? So who went up and who, went, who came down? What is it that he first descended? Who is he that ascended up far and gave gifts to men? What is it that he first descended? Who? Who has ascended up into heaven? Question number one. Question number two. Who has descended? Question number three. Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Have you ever tried to grab a handful of wind? Has any angel been able to do that? Who's the only one that can get the wind in his fists? Number four. Who has bound the waters in a garment? Think of the waters of the ocean and the word of the Lord to the ocean. Thus far and no further shall the angry waves come. Question number four, who hath bound the waters in the garment? Question number five, who has established all the ends of the earth? Question number five, well, who did establish all the ends of the earth? And now listen to questions six and seven. What is his name? Question number six. What is his name? And now we've got something else just to add to the confusion or add to our search. A book of remembrance written for them that think upon his name. What is his name? Question number six. And question number seven. And what is his son's name? If you can tell. Isn't that magnificent prophecy? Sevenfold prophecy, the words, the prophecy of Agar. 
Who has descended? Who descended? Who has gathered the wind? Who has bound the waters in garment? Who has established all the ends? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Oh, we've got two persons here now. Can we safely say, because a third person is going to be added later on when the time comes, go and baptize in the name of the Father. Well, what is his name? And of the Son. Well, what is the Son's name? And of, oh, we can't say that yet, because this is still Old Testament. But Jesus is going to add the third person. Who is it? Holy Spirit. Why wasn't it said here? Okay, we're thinking on his name. Let me just, uh, Anthony and Wally, would you just help me with this board just for our last uh, few moments here. Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 3. If you could just put it up here, brothers, I'd appreciate that. Exodus chapter 3 for our last moment. Now, as I said, I've arranged this in order for a particular reason. Exodus chapter 3 for our last few moments. Now we come to, as I said, I've put it in order for our particular reason, we come to the prophet Moses. So the patriarch Jacob has said, what is his name? But Jacob didn't get that name, but he, got, he himself got a new name after he confessed his name. The day night Manoah, he said, what is your name? All he got was, my name is secret. Why are you asking after it? So there was meant, you know, much significance in the, in the Bible days. It's a wonderful secret, the prophecy of Agar. What is his name and what is his son's name? So he's really saying, what is the name of the father and of the son? Well, son. No, 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 just hold it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord, oh, now note the language here, the angel of the Lord, was it some ordinary angel? Simply messenger. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. Oh, think of that angel that ascended in the flame of fire from a rock altar through sacrifice. Who has ascended or who descended? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Oh, I thought it was an angel. But now God in the midst of the bush. Look what this God says. I'm God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look upon God. And then we go down there, and let's go down quickly here uh, to verse 13, which we picked up last week, or verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto you, 
uh, when I, that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? Oh, same question, what is his name? What am I going to say? Just say God sent me, God's a name. Mm-mm, no. Now, let's just pick up a few things before we wrap up tonight and then we'll pick up next week. Now, the Bible from the, from the New Testament, we're, we're safe on this, the Bible reveals that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Triune God. And in this revelation to Moses, because what I want to make a statement here is, Moses is the first one in the Bible to receive the first part of the triune revelation of the triune God. He's the first one to receive the redemptive name, because it's a redemptive name we're looking at. But the chapter here, these verses we read, are just uh, full of threes. All right, let's look what we've got here. We've got the bush. And we've got the fire. And we've got the voice. Or we could even switch this round and our God is a consuming fire. They were baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire you want to, it, the, the truth is applicable anyway, fire, the voice. So here is a root out of dry ground, a burning bush, burning it unconsumed. So as Moses draws aside here, sees the bush, fire, the miracle of the sun, as I said last week, this voice comes out of the bush. Now what does this voice say, okay, he says, you're on holy ground, made holy by the presence of God, take your shoes off. He said, can I take off my hat? He said, no, take off your shoes, worship. Now, this God, it's significant that we have the word Elohim. Let me just put it up here. Elohim, or Elohim. And this word for God is actually a uniplural word, a Hebrew uniplural word, denoting plurality of divine persons without stating how many. And we haven't got time to go through the scriptures, but this is what we find. There are scriptures that speak of God the Father as El. When it's in the singular, it's referring to one of the persons in the Godhead. And then we have other scriptures that speak of the Son as El. Uh, when it says, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth the Son, and his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Al. It's singular, the mighty Al, God, singular. And there's scriptures that speak of the Holy Spirit as Al. But when we put Al singular, Al singular, Al singular together, this is the uniplural word denoting plurality of persons. Now, God here is Elohim. And so this Elohim, number three, and we'll have to wrap up here, says, I am the God of Abraham... Now, why did he pick Abraham out? I am the God of Isaac. Why did he pick Isaac out? I am the God of Jacob, 
Israel. Ah. So now, whoever this mysterious person is in the bush picks out three men, a trinity of men, Abraham, the father, type of the father, Isaac, only begotten son, only two only begotten sons in Scripture, Isaac, the only begotten son of the Old Testament, Jesus, the only begotten son of the New Testament, Jacob, the third person. Notice that Isaac is begotten. Jacob is not begotten, but Jacob, the third person, uh, proceeds from the father through the son. And the significant thing about Jacob is he is associated with anointing oil, Bethel, the house of God. And they're not called Abrahamites or Isaacites or Jacobites. They're called Israelites after the third person. What's What's it all about? What's it all about? We're thinking upon his name. And then the Lord gives to him, and let's finish on this because our time's up. When he says, uh, what shall uh, they say, what is his name? No use me going down there and say, God sent me, the God of your fathers. Well, we just got so many gods around in Egypt, and I meant to give you two sheets out tonight. We'll have to hold it till next week, a study that uh, Neil Ryan did and gave me permission to give to you. Um, it's no use going down there and say, God sent me. God's not a name. We've got thousands of gods down here. Against all the gods of Egypt will I accept. I must have a distinctive name. So he says, well, I'll say them. And God said, Elohim said, and notice what he said. I am. Let me alter the word that, and it's not changing something. I am who? I am that. I am. And you know, when you come to the New Testament, there's one person only, and only once in the Old Testament is this ever said, I am who I am. After that, it changes to something, the redemptive name, which we'll look at next week. There's only one person in the New Testament ever said that. And Jesus said, when the soldiers came to get him, he said, who are you after? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And the soldiers fell backwards. Then when they recovered, they said, who are you after? Said Jesus, and as he says, I am. And they fell over again. Now, you and I could say, I, I am all day, and nobody would fall over. But when he says it, because of who he is, he filled this in. Isn't it great to think upon his name? Come back next week for this exciting episode. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Father, let your blessing be upon us. The love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, we ask it in the triune name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.